Welcome to New Creation, a home for the creative community of Los Angeles. For more information, visit our website at newcreationla.com. And now, the sermon. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses, and they said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded them. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Numbers 20, 2 through 14. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Well, friends, we have been going through the book of Numbers, studying through this journey to God's promise. And as we look at the Israelites' journey, the hope is that it would inform and shape our journey towards God's promise. And so this story is one of a much larger story. Uh, Today's episode uh, really begins back uh, when the Israelites are in Egypt. They're slaves there, and they're delivered out after 400 years of slavery. Moses delivers them out. And they go through the 10 plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. They're taken to Mount Sinai where God gives them the 10 commandments. And then they move on and they're in the wilderness. And so last week we looked at Numbers 14 and we saw God's mercy and God's justice in the face of rebellion, unbelief, and fear. The Israelites had all those things. They had fear, rebellion, unbelief in refusing to take the land that God had given to them, that he had promised to them. And so the leaders, if you remember, tried to kill Moses, Aaron, Caleb, and Joshua, and then select new leaders to then, here's the great plan, let's go back to Egypt where we could be slaves again. And so... These were to be God's ambassadors to the whole world. And so God in his justice says he wasn't going to let them enter the land. 
that the entire generation would live out the rest of their days in the wilderness, but God in his mercy would allow their children, the next generation, to receive the land that he had promised. And so this week, uh, we now see this kind of deja vu. As you were hearing those verses, you might think, gosh, didn't we just read that same thing? It's kind of the same thing all over again, except now it's the new generation, and they begin to uh, to complain. And Moses and Aaron are now the ones acting in disbelief and in rebellion. And so God decides that they, the leaders, will not be allowed to lead the people into the promised land. And so, before we dig in uh, more to the story, let's take a moment and pray that God would open our hearts to his word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word this day. It is a gift to us. It is living. It is alive. It transforms us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do exactly that this morning, that you would open our hearts to your living word, that you would use it to change us, to shape us, to fashion us, to mold us, that we would become more like your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that when we leave this place, we would be a different people than we were when we arrived. And I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in all of it. So this morning, would you use me, a crooked stick, to draw a straight line to the truth of your word? I ask it in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so the timeline of what we're talking about here, uh, from last week, we've now jumped 40 years ahead, and so it's the new generation, and the new generation is now entering the wilderness of Zin, and they are on their way to the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. And so the first generation has basically all died off. We didn't read uh, verse 1, but verse 1 has Miriam, the sister of Moses, dying. And so we see this first generation dying off. And then we see history repeating itself. You've probably heard the phrase, uh, those that don't learn the mistakes of the past are doomed to repeat them. So... It's true of me. It's true probably of most of us. We find ourselves making the same mistakes over and over. Maybe you find it during that, uh, that silence, during our confession prayer, that you kind of pray sometimes the same things over and over. Gosh, I pray for forgiveness for, for this thing, and yet, wasn't I just praying for that last week and the week before that? Uh, German philosopher... Hegel has this famous quote, we learn from history that man can never learn anything from history. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) My wife's always good for a laugh. All right. So Israel seems to be repeating the same mistakes as the first generation. Complaining, quarreling, um, quarreling, exaggerating, 
Let's take a look at uh, the first few verses here, verses two through five. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And so this is a whole nation of people. And they're gathering, they're assembling around their complaints. This is no good. You know what, right? This is no good. And they keep gathering more and more. It's kind of like a political season. This place is terrible and I'm going to fix it, right? That's what's going on here. They're assembling, they're gathering around complaining. Then we go a little further. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. And so the same repeating, wouldn't it have been better if we had just already died? And they go on. Verse four, why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Isn't that interesting? They're calling the place that God had brought them to this evil place. Why is it evil? It's no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. This evil place that doesn't have the stuff that we like. They're, they're a bit exaggerated here, right? Don't forget that God has been providing manna, bread raining from the sky six days a week for them through this whole 40 years. They have bread. They have food. They say there's no water for us or our cattle. Oh, so you have meat as well. So they're not starving. Do they need water? Yes, they do. Okay, so here's the problems with the complaints. One, again, they're exaggerating. They're catastrophizing, making it much worse. And it's easy for us to look at the Israelites and wag our finger, come on guys, you shouldn't exaggerate like that. But I'll tell you, when I'm complaining, I am the king of exaggeration. Cue wife and children laughing, <laughs> right? If you don't believe me, just ask any one of them. They will tell you that I do that. Uh, so the Israelites are also blame shifting. They're saying, you know what? The reason that we don't have all this stuff is because of Moses. But they're forgetting what we just studied last week in Numbers 14. Is it Moses' fault that they're there? They're there because a whole generation refused to go in and take the land. It was out of their fear and rebellion and unbelief that they're there. They're there because of their own consequences. And yet now they want to just blame shift and say, Moses, you're the one that's doing this to us. You are the one that brought us here. They should have gone to Moses saying, Moses, we need water. Would you ask the Lord to provide it for us? But instead, we get accusations. You've brought us here to die. And so Moses 
mediates. He goes before God. Let's take a look at six through eight. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation and you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. So Moses and Aaron, they go up to the tent of meeting in the tabernacle and they bow before God face down and they pray, they mediate. And God shows up, he shows up and he instructs them. He says, take your staff the staff of Moses, the staff that was held during so many miracles, the staff that is a symbol of power. It's a symbol of Moses' authority given by God. So he's saying, I want you to take that staff as a sign of my authority confirmed over you. And with Aaron, I want you to assemble the people They've assembled themselves around complaining, but I want you to assemble them over my provision, around my provision. And then I want you to speak to the rock while they are all watching. And I want you to call out for the provision of water. It's a beautiful picture. God is calling Aaron and Moses to show this new generation who is complaining, he wants to show them his mercy. He wants to show them his patience. God wants to show them his kindness. So how does Moses react? Let's take a look at verses nine through 11. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together. Okay, so, so far, so good. Told you to take the staff, got the staff, check. Told you to uh, go with Aaron, gather the assembly together, check. Now what? They go before the rock and he said to them, hear now you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand And he struck the rock twice with his staff. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. Moses is supposed to speak to the people. He's supposed to not speak to the people. He's supposed to speak to the rock, right? But he doesn't, does he? He goes right to the people. He's off course. You're supposed to speak to the rock, Moses. And what does he do when he speaks to the people? He yells at them. He rebukes them. You rebels. Is he wrong? No, they are rebelling. uh, rebelling, But is that what God told him to do? No. And then he says, shall we bring water out of the rock for you? We who? 
We, me and Aaron, Moses and Aaron. And so he starts taking credit like he's doing some sort of pagan magic trick. Watch this. Shall we, Aaron and I, shall we provide this water for you, you rebels? God is the one that provides. And yet he is trying to point to himself as the provider. And then he lifts his staff and he strikes the rock twice. What is he supposed to do? He's supposed to speak to it, not hit it. And so even now in the face of this radical disobedience by Moses and Aaron, God still provides the people water. Even the, the leader's rebellion won't thwart God's gracious plans for his people. This is a radical disobedience because it misrepresents God. The glory of God appears to Moses and Aaron, and he gives very specific instruction. Take your staff, go with my authority, assemble the people, speak to the rock. It would have been such a beautiful picture of God's mercy. And Moses is so far outside of what God has commanded. He judges the people in anger. He takes credit for God's power and he hits the rock instead of speaking to it. And what he's doing is misrepresenting God. He's breaking the third commandment. Who remembers what the third commandment is? Anybody? Do not take the Lord's name in vain. He is taking God's name in vain. He is misrepresenting God. Now, to understand this episode a little better, we've got to look back at an Exodus 17 passage. And so, at that point in the story, going back a little bit, Israel is coming out of Egypt, and... Um, what happens is very similar. The people are quarreling with Moses about having no water. And let's look at the response. So Exodus 17, 5 and 6. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And so in that situation, the people are testing God. They're not trusting. What they deserve is God's justice, but what God does here is amazing. God puts himself on trial instead of them. He himself goes before them and stands in front of the rock. And God allows himself to be struck instead of them so that they could receive life-giving water. It's a beautiful picture. But now here in Numbers 20... What does Moses do? 
he strikes the rock on his own authority. It is one, th- it is one thing to strike God when he tells you to do it, and it's quite another to do it when he doesn't, no less twice. Moses' actions here in Numbers 20 are a direct assault on God. And so we keep talking about this theme of history repeating itself. If we go back closer to the beginning with Moses, in his youth, while Moses is living under Pharaoh's roof, he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And what does he do? He strikes him dead. Let's take a look at what happened the next day. Exodus 2, verses 13 and 14. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. Moses, at this earlier point in history, acts out in anger, trying to judge and deliver his people in his own power. And it leads to 40 years of exile. And now, Numbers 20, here we go again. So many years later, yet the same thing all over again. Let's take a look back at Numbers 20 and hear now God's justice. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. God wants himself to be known. He wants himself to be known on his terms. And so the consequence of this rebellion, of this misrepresentation, is that Moses and Aaron don't get to lead the people into the land that God promised. They are unfit for delivering God's people into the land, for leading them. How does God want to be known? Let's take a look at Exodus 34. There it says, and this is um, after the golden calf incident. And so uh, after the 10 commandments have been given, the people affirm, we'll do all that you've said. And then they go right into building this idol. And now here in Exodus 34, the covenant is being renewed. And so God says, the Lord passed before them and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children 
to the third and fourth generation. And so we see this picture of God that he is so loving, kind, patient, and forgiving. He forgives sin, and yet he says in his justice, sin still has consequences. And that was not how Moses and Aaron were representing God. And again, that's why they're no longer a fit to lead God's people, this new generation into the land that God had promised. How discouraging, right? Moses and his brother Aaron don't get to go into the land. Moses, who went toe to toe with Pharaoh. Moses, who parted the Red Sea, received the Ten Commandments, doesn't get to go. Moses, the meekest man in all the earth, the mediator between God and his people, doesn't get to lead them into the land that God had promised. If Moses and Aaron can't make the journey to God's promise, what hope do we have? As amazing as Moses has been through all these stories, what we need is a better Moses. And friends, I have good news for you. We have a better Moses. His name is Jesus. Jesus Christ is the better Moses. Why? Because he is the only one who can truly represent God. There's this question in Psalm 24. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Does that sound like Moses? No. Who is this person? Verse seven says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Verse 10, who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. And we get an even fuller picture of this king of glory when we go to John 1. There it says, and the word became flesh, the word of God. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. He is the king of glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We jump down to verses 17 and 18. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, that is Jesus, has made him known. Who is this King of glory? Who alone can represent God? It is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the better Moses. And that is good news for us. Can we adequately represent God? Is there anyone here who thinks that they are a perfect representation of God? Like Israel, like, Ad, uh, like Aaron, like Moses? Our sin derives from unbelief. A commentator that I read this week says this, that I think is really helpful. We believe in theory 
that God is our refuge and our rock, yet in practice, we act like he doesn't exist. Why do we judge people and write them off as hopeless? It's because in practice, we don't really believe that God can rescue and redeem them. Why do we get so frustrated and disappointed when our spouses and families disappoint us? It's because we don't believe that God is their judge and we aren't willing to let their sanctification rest in God's hands. Why are we so fearful of our future? It's because we don't really believe that the Lord will deliver us at the crucial moment. Why are we so angry with God at the way our lives have turned out? It's because we don't believe he has our best interests at heart or that there is more to life than we see around us in the world. We fail to believe in God. We are rebels against his goodness, just like Moses and Aaron and an entire generation of ancient Israelites. And yet, as Christians, we have this calling to be God's ambassadors in the world. We need a better Moses. Our better Moses, Jesus Christ, is better in this way. You see, Moses can't bear our guilt because he too is guilty. But Jesus can. Jesus is the rock stricken for us. This rock being stricken in Exodus 17 and Numbers 20 is a picture of Jesus. On the cross, Jesus takes the strike of God's justice that we deserve. Isaiah 53, surely he, that is Jesus they're talking about, has borne our griefs and carried out our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus is a better Moses because he can take our guilt upon himself. He was stricken just like the rock, but Jesus was stricken. He was punched. He was stricken with a whip. He was stricken with a hammer as nails pierced his hands and feet. Jesus was stricken for us. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The reason that Jesus can bear our guilt is because he is not guilty, because he has lived the life we never could. He has lived a perfect life. And so Jesus is the better Moses. And that, again, is good news. And here's the amazing thing, is that Jesus is actually the hope even for Moses. Moses doesn't get to lead the people into the land but eventually, he gets to enter it. Let's take a look at Mark 9, verses 2 through 4. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. 
Moses, who was bowed down, face down before God when the glory of the Lord appeared, now appears with Jesus in his glory. As he is transfigured in glory, Moses now gets to go into the land. He's now in the land that God had promised with God's son, the king of glory, Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing. Jesus is the hope for Moses, and he's also the hope for us. You see, we can't enter God's promise by becoming judge over others. We can't enter by beating ourselves up by becoming judge over us. We can only enter by faith in Jesus. Ephesians 2.8 says it best. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Jesus is our hope. We get to enter God's promise through faith alone in him. And God's promise also extends this way, that by faith, we will experience that same picture that Moses is experiencing. That one day we'll stand with Jesus, with Jesus glorified and us glorified. That is God's promise. It'll be an end of sin and death, of mourning, of crying, of pain. Those will be the former things as God makes his new creation. And so by faith, Jesus then gives us this dynamic power through his spirit. He gives us his spirit to now actually be able to represent him. When we are in Christ by faith, it is only there that we actually become these beautiful representations of God, his ambassadors of the gospel. It's when our lives are changed, when we're transformed, and it points to the glory of Jesus. And so we're to be his ambassadors as we scatter, as we go out, but also as we gather, that we would gather as a church to be God's witness in this school, in this neighborhood, in this city, in this world. So new creation, that is our call, and it happens through Jesus alone. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful this morning that we have a better Moses. We have Jesus, who is not only the perfect representation of you, but he is the one who has lived a perfect life, and he is the one that died the death that we deserve. And so through faith in him, Lord, we are saved and we are transformed with the power of your spirit to then go and be your witnesses in this world, to be your representatives of grace, your ambassadors of the gospel. And so, Lord, make us more and more like Jesus. Transform us as we worship, as we pray, as we engage your word. 
so that we can bring your loving kindness, your mercy, your forgiveness to a watching world. We ask it in the name of Jesus and the power of your spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this sermon and encourage you to become a regular member of our online community. To find out more about the church, visit our website at newcreationla.com.